Well, this has been such an exciting weekend of ministry. Uh, we had at our George Boulevard location the Watoto African Children's Choir on Friday night. And were they amazing or what? <laughs> Amen. And I want to thank you. You know, as a church, we exist for three reasons. We exist to love God by loving people. We exist to learn His Word and to serve our community for the glory of God. And I was so happy to know that many of you uh, came out and were serving to make that Watoto concert possible on Friday night as they came all the way from Uganda, Africa. Uh, many of you came to help set up these chairs at the George Boulevard location. Uh, others of you were host homes. Some of our new families here at Impact that have just attended here for a few weeks opened up their homes to be host homes for these amazing kids. Thank you so much. We had uh, others uh, help with the meal uh, that we served those kids on Friday night. And uh, they have a wonderful way of saying thank you. When those Watoto kids come, they say thank you in a very special way. And on Friday night, when they were about to say thank you to Rosie for serving them dinner before their concert, I quickly got out my video camera and recorded those kids saying their thank you to Rosie. And we're going to play this for you on the screen right now. And this, this thank you to her is really a thank you to each and every one of you who served these kids from Africa to make that evening possible. I need a hug. Oh, yeah. I need a hug. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Oh. oh, God is so good. Amen. And all the time. There was a certain woman who was scared to death that a burglar was going to break into her two-story home in the middle of the night. And so, just about once a week, she would hear some noise downstairs in the middle of the night, and she'd give the elbow to her husband. He'd be startled, waking up from a dead sleep, and she would make him go downstairs and check out the noise. And so, this was a weekly routine, stumble down the stairs, look to see that there was nothing really there, and go back upstairs and tell his wife, well, this went on for over ten years. One night, she heard the noise downstairs. The little elbow came her husband's way, and just like usual, he staggered out of bed and staggered down the stairs, and as he got to the bottom of the stair landing, he peeked around the corner into the family room, and you never believe what he saw. He actually saw a burglar. He couldn't believe it, so you know what he did? He introduced himself and said, I need you to go upstairs and introduce yourself to my wife. She's been expecting you for years. You could make the case that that woman had a whole lot of faith. Even though she couldn't see that burglar with her eyes, she believed that sooner or later he was coming for her. And eventually, eventually he did. 
This month we've been talking about faith a lot here at Impact. We've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11. It's late in the New Testament. It's a great chapter. Oftentimes it's called the faith chapter. Sometimes we say it's the hall of faith because it lists a number of the greatest men and women of faith in the Old Testament and lifts them up to us as heroes of our faith to emulate. And so today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 again, looking at one of the great heroes of the faith. His name was Abraham. And so I'd like you to take out your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this week, we encourage you to bring it with you next time. If you don't have a Bible of your own at home, we'd love to send you home with a free Bible today. You can just talk to Amber at the Welcome Center after the service and she can get you a Bible to take home. In the meantime, you can grab one of the blue ones from the rack in front of you. If you're borrowing one of those blue Bibles, you'll find Hebrews chapter 11 on page 1192. Page 1192 in one of those blue Bibles. The rest of you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. I'm calling this message today, Abraham, I'm an impactor. I'm an impactor. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8. It says, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. May God bless us as we study His Word today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day that You've given us. Lord, we thank You so much that we get to be in this place and can freely talk about Your Word and learn Your Word and hide Your Word upon our hearts so that we won't sin against You. Lord, I thank You for the example of Abraham, this great man of faith. Lord, You called him to be a man of faith, and he responded with faith-filled obedience. And because you called him, O God, and because he responded in faith, the Jewish nation was born through his descendants. And not only that, the, the Bible that we are able to study today came through the descendants of Abraham. And 1900 years after Abraham lived and died, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, was born as a descendant of Abraham. So, Lord, we thank You that this man of faith literally changed the world for hundreds of years. I thank You that our faith can have a great impact as well on our generation and beyond. Help us to be men and women of faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So we make our way through the message today. I encourage you to have those message notes handy. If you're sitting near the aisle, you'll see a stack of those message notes. I encourage you to pass it down to those that may be in your rows so they can see some of the main points from the message and jot down some notes along the way. That's one way that I find it's very helpful to learn when I'm sitting under someone else's teaching in a sermon. And we hope that's helpful for you as well to be able to see some of those main points and have a place to jot down some notes as we dive into this message about Abraham. The first time that Abraham is mentioned in the Bible is in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 11. He was part of the tenth generation after Noah. So last week we took a look at Noah. Uh, He was the man, of course, that built the ark. 
And ten generations later, we find Abraham mentioned for the first time there in Genesis 11. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God speaks to Abraham for the very first time. If we follow the chapters beginning in chapter 12 through about chapter 22 or so, God speaks to Abraham seven times. And the first time he speaks to him here in chapter 12, verse 1, this is how the verse reads. The Lord had said to Abram, he had a shorter name at the time, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. This is a very short verse, but there's some beautiful nuggets of truth in this verse that I'd like to kind of unpack over the next couple minutes. I want you to notice that in this verse, there's really just one command. And the one command God gives to Abram is to go. Say that with me. Go. Pretty short command, don't you think? God simply says, go. And as he gives this one simple command, there are three objects that go along with that command. Go, number one, from your country. Go, number two, from your people. And go, number three, from your father's household. And if you look at these three objects of that command, go, they go from easiest to hardest. If you try to put yourself in Abraham's shoes, uh, I think you'd probably agree that if God came to you one day and said, I want you to leave your hometown and I want you to leave the state of California and move somewhere else. That would be kind of, some would say amen. But for most of us, I think that would be kind of hard, wouldn't it? For most of us, it'd be kind of, you folks don't like Victorville too much, huh? We're going to have to talk about that in another message. God's brought you here, folks. But if God called you to go outside of your town and outside of the state, that would be hard. But wouldn't you agree, for most of us, it would be harder to leave our family and friends? And as hard as it would be to leave our family and friends, it would be even harder to leave our immediate family. But notice that's what God says here. He says, go from your country. Go from your family and friends and go from your father's household. It's a tough, tough task that God expected Abram to carry out. This is a tall order. Couldn't have been easy. And I'd like you to notice that God didn't tell Abraham where he was going. He simply said, go to the land I will show you. That would be kind of like God saying to you, I want you to go east. I don't even know if I pointed east. That was kind of more south, I think. But Who's good with directions here? Warmer, 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 warmer. This way, this way, this way. We're going to say it's over there somewhere. Imagine God says, go east. And you're thinking to yourself, well, this is just a little bit unnerving. I don't know where he's going to send me east. When God says go east, that may mean he wants me to move to Palm Springs. If God says go east, it may mean he wants me to move to Phoenix, Arizona. It may mean Albuquerque, New Mexico. It may mean North Texas. It may mean Louisiana. It may mean Florida. Well, shoot, if God says go east, he may mean move to China. There's a lot of room in there for different places to settle And God didn't tell him where he was going. He just said, go. And what do we read there in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 12? Even though he didn't know where he was going, Abraham left just as the Lord had told him. Isn't that something? We're going to put on the screen a map of Ur. 
Abram's hometown, and that'll help us get our bearings. You can see over on the right side is the city, the, the land of Ur, where Abram was born and raised. And so if you kind of get your bearings by looking at this map, we're looking at the Middle East here. Ur is between the Tigris and Euphrates River, about an hour and a half drive from modern-day Baghdad. So Ur is modern-day Iraq. And so he was born and raised in Iraq, that beautiful place in the desert. And uh, he was settled there. He was living with his family and friends. He was minding his own business. And God speaks to him one day and calls him to go to a place that he would show him. And so what does he do? He travels 600 miles northwest to a town called Haran. And this town Haran, 600 miles away, imagine having to walk 600 miles, not knowing where your ultimate destination was going to be. But he moved to Haran, and as he was there in Haran, presumably for a few years, God made it clear, this is not your final destination. So from Haran, he moved about 400 miles southwest to Canaan. And so, a thousand miles total, walked on foot before God told him specifically where He was going to give him that promised land. That's an amazing thing to think about. I want you to remember the definition of faith that we've been looking at over the last few Sundays. It's a definition given to us by Bible commentator Warren Wearsby. It's a, a wonderful definition. It goes like this. True faith True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances and in spite of consequences. And Abraham, when we think of that definition, he was without a doubt a man of faith because he confidently obeyed God's command to go no matter how uncomfortable it was, no matter how much criticism he received. And we've got to think that there was some criticism that came his way from family and friends. I'm pretty certain that some of Abraham's family and friends thought he was nuts. They thought he had lost it. Are you serious? You're moving east somewhere, you don't know where, and you're following the voice of some God we've never even heard of. Certainly some of them thought he was nuts, but he obeyed anyway. And keep in mind that in those days, when you lived in a certain town or region, that region and that town had a specific local god that everyone worshipped. And archaeologists tell us that the god of Ur in Abraham's day was the moon god called Nanar. Say that with me. Nanar. Okay? So Nanar is the moon god that the people in Ur worship. So from the very time he was a little tyke in his family, from the time he was a little guy in his father's household, he was taught to worship Nanar, the moon god. And he's worshiping Nanar for some 75 years, and then all of a sudden God speaks to him there in Ur and says, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your family and friends. I want you to leave your immediate household. And with that, there was the implied command, I want you to leave the God that everyone here worships, and I want you to follow me. And those family members, certainly at least some of them, thought he was nuts because he not only was turning his back on his country, he was turning his back on their God. To follow this Jehovah they'd never even heard of, but Abram walked in faith anyways, despite the circumstances and in spite of the consequences. As I was thinking about Abram leaving his family's God, I couldn't help but think about some of you in the last few days. 
We have some that are a part of this church that were raised in a very strong Catholic family. Some of you were raised in a strong Catholic family. Your parents were Catholic. Your grandparents were Catholic. Your aunts and uncles were Catholic. Your second, third, and fourth, and fifth cousins were Catholic. And at some point in your life, as you were reading the Word of God and listening to the teaching from God's Word, you came to the conclusion that the Virgin Mary should never be worshipped. And at some point, you came to the conclusion that the Pope is not God's voice on earth. And at some point, you came to the conclusion that salvation does not come through the Catholic Church. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. And you made one of the toughest decisions that any American Christian tends to face. The decision to walk away from your family's religion. To walk away in a sense, for some of you, from your family's God. To follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as He is described in the pages of God's Word. And to make that decision, you certainly had some family members who thought you were nuts. Are you serious? We're all Catholic. Can't you follow Jesus and still go to Mass? Can't you follow Jesus and just throw up some Hail Marys once in a while? You said, no, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to follow Him halfway. And I've got to say, for those of you who have come out of Catholicism to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I am so proud of you because that was a tough faith decision. Well done, church. Well done. We have some, even some here today, whose family members are all Mormon. And when they made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, they had come to the conclusion that Joseph Smith was not a prophet on earth. The sad reality is that he was a con man. The sad reality is the Book of Mormon is not Scripture. It's a sham. The sad reality is salvation, according to Mormonism, is not through Jesus Christ. It's through the Mormon church. And those of you that came from Mormonism and have parents and grandparents and second and third and fourth cousins who are Mormon, you came out of Mormonism and decided to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and follow Him according to the pages of the New Testament. And I commend you because you counted the cost and you said, I'm going to walk in faith despite the circumstances and in spite of the consequences. And I want to say to you that you've made that decision well done. I know it was hard and I know it's come with a cost. And some of you get together with family every Thanksgiving meal, and it's still hard. But praise God, you, like Abraham, chose to walk in faith. I love how Hebrews 11.8 puts it, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Some of you have heard in the past me share of my personal testimony, my personal story of how God called me into full-time ministry. I felt the tug of God on my life pulling me into ministry in high school. And I transferred after a year and a half at a junior college to Hope International University. And at that Bible college, I studied ministry. But at the time, as a young adult, I realized that we're all good at certain things. And one of the things I was really good at was college. I'm good at taking tests. And I'm good at writing essays, and college has a lot of both. And so while I was in college, I figured I'd go ahead and get two bachelor's degrees. And so in 1996, I graduated from Hope International with a bachelor's degree in ministry and a bachelor's degree in psychology. 
I was 22 years old and I knew that God was pulling me into full-time ministry at some point in my life, but I figured I had a few years to kill. I figured it'd be a good idea for me to uh, go ahead and get a doctorate in psychology, and that way I would have a career that earned a whole lot of money, a lot more than ministry would earn, and I could maybe build up my savings account before God calls me into full-time ministry. And so I sent out the applications there in the spring and early summer of 1996, and I was accepted to a fairly prestigious doctorate program in Utah. And so I accepted their offer to come for a four-year program, and in four years I would be 26 years old, and I would be Dr. Dane Davis, clinical psychologist. And I could make some money before God tugs my heart into ministry. But I was wrestling with that in the summer of 96. And I remember, I'll never forget this, I was driving my car one night and I was literally crying out to God. There's times when we just pray to God and there's times we cry out to God, amen? And the tears were coming down my cheeks. I was literally crying out to God and I said something simply like this, God, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to do. God, would you tell me what you want me to do? And God spoke to me as I was there in my car in the summer of 96 more clearly than He's ever spoken to me before. And it wasn't an audible voice that I could hear, but God was clearly speaking to my mind and my heart. And He asked me this question, Dane, where does your passion lie? And that was an easy question to answer. I said, my passion lies in ministry. And so God asked a follow-up question, and Dane, doesn't it make sense to study ministry first and foremost? And it's like the light bulb finally shined in my head and, and he cut through the darkness. In that moment, I knew what I had to do. That was a Friday night, if I remember correctly. The following Monday, I made a call to that university in Utah and I told him, thanks, but no thanks. I knew that God was closing that door. And I knew that God was going to open another door. I wasn't sure what that door was going to be, but I knew what door was closing. And I made the decision that I was going to, one way or another, get into a ministry program to continue my education to become a pastor. And so I made that decision not knowing exactly what God was going to do. And I was a little bit scared because by this time, it was almost halfway through the summer. It was about a month and a half away from the start of the fall semester. I had already turned down a scholarship for a seminary back east. When I thought I was going into this psych program, I didn't know who was going to accept me this late in the game. And more importantly, I didn't know how I was going to be able to afford it. But you know, I discovered that when God closes one door, He always opens another, doesn't He? Amen? When God closes one door, He always opens another. Do you suppose God opened a door once I decided to walk in faith and do what He wanted me to do? <laughs> yeah, I know you're hanging on the edge of your seat there, wondering if I ever became a pastor. God opened the door for me to return to the same Bible college where I just graduated, Hope International. And I, I shared with them that I wanted to come back, that God called me into ministry. And they did something they almost never do. They offered me there, late in the summer, a full-ride scholarship so money wouldn't be an issue. You know, when God closed that door to that program in Utah, He opened a door widely for me to continue my study of ministry. And it paid off big time. 
After seminary, when I explored different ministry opportunities, I was in a a similar boat. God, do you want me to go here? Do you want me to go here? Do you want me to go here? And, And God, one by one, was closing doors. And all of a sudden, in June of 1999, he opened the door widely in a little town called Victorville, where, as coincidence would have it, was the first city and First Christian Church of Victorville was the very first church where I had preached my very first sermon. I had no idea at the time that God was going to be opening the door when I preached my very first sermon at a Sunday night service in 1994 at our old facility in downtown Victorville. We talk about our old facility at George Boulevard. This goes back even further. About six months before we moved to George Boulevard, we were there in downtown at 6th and B Streets, and I preached my first sermon, having no idea that five years later, God would open the door for me to become the full-time pastor of this church. And over the last 20 years that Christine and I have served here, God has been so faithful. I'm so glad that we walked in faith. I'm so glad God opened this door. This is the door that God had for us. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he he didn't know where he was going. As all of you probably know by now, today is Baptism Sunday here at Impact Christian Church. It's a great day. We've got several here that have already decided that today is the day that they're going to make it clear to God, the angels, and anyone watching, I am trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I am turning from my sin. I'm making a spiritual U-turn, and I am placing Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of my life. And in case anyone doubts that I'm serious about this decision, I'm obeying Christ in Christian baptism, proclaiming to the world, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so as we end this service in a little bit with that baptism service, I'm so excited about those of you who have already made this decision. And I can't help but think that there are others of you here today who need to also make that decision. To make that decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, but also as your Lord. Over the years of being a pastor, I've discovered that a lot of people, I dare say most people, who go to church, are more than willing to accept Jesus as their Savior. Most people that go to church, even most people that go even twice a year on Christmas and Easter, most people that go to church believe that God is real. They believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And they believe in heaven and hell. And so those that believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and believe in heaven and hell do not want to go to hell. I don't know anyone that goes to church and says, Woohoo! Man, I want to have a party down in hell. You don't hear that, do you? We want to go to heaven. So what many people decide to do is, I will jump through whatever religious hoops I need to jump through in order to get fire insurance to keep my behind out of hell. And so if you want me to say a sinner's prayer, I'll say a sinner's prayer. If you want me to stand up front and sign a card, I'll stand up front and sign a card. If you want me to get baptized, I'll get baptized. Most who pop in to a church service, even those that pop in every once in a while, are more than willing to accept Jesus as Savior. What I've discovered, though, is sadly most are not willing to accept Him as Lord. You know the word Lord means boss. The word Lord means master. And as Americans, 
we've got this rugged individualism. And we've got this sordid past when it comes to slavery. And we do not like the ideas, Americans, of anyone telling me what to do. I don't want anybody to be my master. I don't want anybody to be my Lord. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And so, you know what? When we talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, a lot of even so-called Christians get very, very uncomfortable. I'll accept Him as Savior, but Lord, uh uh-uh. Not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. For many of us, we're willing to say, I'm okay with being a friend of God, but I really don't want to be a servant of God. I'm okay calling Jesus Lord, but I have no desire to put Him in the driver's seat of my life and obey Him as Lord. Well, if no one has ever told you, allow me to be the first to tell you today. Savior and Lord always go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Savior and Lord always go hand in hand. Therefore, Jesus cannot and will not be your Savior unless He is also your Lord. You see, Jesus cannot be divided in two. Jesus is the whole package. If you want Him, you get the whole enchilada. You get the whole package when you accept Jesus. If you accept Him as your Savior, you also have to accept Him as your Lord. But if you reject Him as your Lord, you're also rejecting Him as your Savior. Sadly, when it comes down to it, most Americans who believe in Jesus don't really have obedient faith in Jesus. And remember that faith is never about only believing in our heads something to be true. Satan believes in his head that Jesus is Lord, doesn't he? But I've never heard anyone accuse Satan of as being a strong man of faith. Ever heard someone call Satan a man of faith? I haven't. Because he's not a man of faith. He believes it up here, but he has not surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Faith is never simply believing something in our heads. True Bible faith always involves obedience. If I truly have faith in Jesus Christ, there is no mistaking who's in charge. He's in charge. He calls the shots, not me. He's in the driver's seat of my life, not me. He gives the orders. It is my job to obey the orders. That's the kind of faith that God called Abraham to have. And that's the kind of faith that He's called you and me to have. A faith that walks in obedience to His commands. Many of you have already made the decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ. But for many of you, I think, at least some of you, as you look back on your relationship with Jesus Christ and your Christianity in recent months, if you're honest with yourself, you have to admit that you and Jesus have been having kind of a power struggle. You've, if you're honest with yourself, shoved Him off to riding shotgun And you've been in the driver's seat of your own life. You've been calling your own shots. You've pretty much been doing what you wanted to do and not what He wanted you to do. I'm curious, how many of you have ever had the wonderful opportunity to teach somebody how to drive? Have you had that misfortune? I mean that blessing? Over the last year, I've had that opportunity to teach my oldest daughter, Kayla, how to drive. And there's been another young man in the church that I've helped to teach how to drive as well. I was thinking about this this last week. 
so often we shove Jesus into that shotgun seat and we ride for a while, we drive for a while our lives and Jesus must just be sitting there saying to himself, man, he's making a mess of things. But he shoved me out of the driver's seat. Man, she's messing things up. But you shoved him out of the driver's seat. And I was thinking about teaching my daughter to drive and another young man to drive. And, and those of you who have had that experience know what it's like when you're riding shotgun with that brand new driver, right? Let me give you some tips if you've never done this before, but that's coming up soon. You want to make sure your seatbelt is nice and tight before you ever start the car. Make sure it's nice and tight. A second thing that's very important, make sure the headrest is securely placed right behind the center of your head. Because one of the most adventurous parts of teaching someone how to drive is when they learn how to operate the brake pedal. You're doing this number. At every stoplight and every stop sign. And so if you're prone to whiplash, might I recommend a neck brace while you're sitting riding shotgun. And I was thinking about this yesterday, thinking back to some of those moments where one of those two, I won't tell you which one, would hit the brakes a little too hard. And I'd go flying. I was thanking Jesus for my seatbelt. Or those times they went to make a right-hand turn. And they went to make a nice gradual turn. I warned them ahead of time, but for some reason they missed the cue. And last minute they jerked the wheel and I go flying to the left. Or left-hand turn, I go flying to the right. And you're thinking, I hope this thing has side airbags because if we hit something, I'm going to need them. It must be like that for Jesus. When he sits there patiently riding shotgun and we're giving our poor Savior whiplash. Because we have a tendency of making a mess of things when we're behind the wheel. Some of you, in all honesty, made a decision for Christ and you turned from your sin. You even got baptized, maybe. But when it comes down to it, at some point you've made the decision to take charge again of your own life. And he's patiently and lovingly waiting you for letting him take the wheel once again. If you need to make that decision today to let Jesus once again be in the driver's seat and take the wheel, we're going to have an extended time of prayer here in a few moments and we're going to give you an opportunity to rededicate your life to Christ. Or if you're here today and you realize that you've never truly made that decision to put Jesus Christ in charge of your life, to put Him in the driver's seat for the first time. Maybe you didn't come to our baptism classes over the last couple of weeks. That's okay. We're going to have an opportunity in a few minutes where I'll be in the back of the room. and We'll have an opportunity for you to hear what Jesus Christ did. And you'll have an opportunity to make the same decision that others are making today. To turn from your sin. To put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat and get baptized. We put the nice warm water in the baptistry. We're going to finish our service today in a few minutes with those baptisms. Maybe God's calling you to be a part of that baptism service to join us as we make it clear to God, the angels, and anyone that's watching, I'm following Jesus Christ from now on. Aren't you tired of just calling Jesus Lord? Aren't you ready to obey Him as Lord?